0: James chapter 1, Luke chapter 4. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that we do overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Lord, we have felt in our hearts, we have experienced in our lives the joy given to us because we have a right relationship with you because of the blood of the Lamb. We thank you, Lord, that through the sacrifice, Jesus, that you made on the cross, that we have been delivered from the penalty of sin, that we've been justified. Lord, also, not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin as well, Lord. Not only have we been justified by the blood, we have been sanctified by the blood. And I pray that we would hold these truths near and dear to our hearts, God, as we live out this life as we live out this faith, Lord, as we study the book of James. Father, guide and direct our time as we study Your Word. Holy Spirit, I desire to be an instrument in Your hand. Lord, I desire to speak the things that You would want me to speak this morning. I pray that I wouldn't lead anybody astray to the left or to the right. But God, that we would hear what You would say to Your church this morning, and that we would do more than hear it, Lord, we would implement it, that we would put these things into action, Lord, that we would live out our faith day by day. Strengthen us in that, Lord. It's only by your Spirit that we can at all. And so we thank you for this word in James, and we love you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good to see you all. <clears throat> James chapter 1. Uh, we're slowly working our way through, and rightfully so, because there is so much meat. I remember when I was um, playing Christian heavy metal and back in the day, and uh, we um, did an interview or something. I don't remember exactly how this question came to us, but somebody had asked us what our favorite books in the Bible were, and uh, our drummer, Chris, you know, said, oh, I just love James because it punches you in the face. <laughs> and it really does. It, it's, it's that kind of strong word that kind of maybe shakes you a little bit to say, oh, there are things in my life that I can implement. There are things that I can change in my life in order to live a more holy, uh, a more godly life. And, and that's what the book of James is all about. Remember we said on the onset when we began the book, and I want to say it again and again and again. That the, the things that we learn in the book of James are not to help us gain favor with God. This isn't, we're not earning our salvation here. We're not earning anything in the presence of God. God has freely given us his salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And so we take the book of James then and say, okay, then this is our response. This is the way that we respond to what Jesus has done on our behalf. And last week we talked about trials. And the fact that we all go through trials, and not just all the church, all the world, everybody has trials. We have difficult times. And we said that as as followers of Christ, we need to embrace trials. can count it all joy whenever you suffer trials of many kinds. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. God has a purpose in our trials, and it's a pathway for you and I to grow. It's a pathway to maturity. And not only that, the trial helps us see our need for God. Remember he said, if any of us lacks wisdom, and we raised our hands, we said, yeah, we lack wisdom. And some of us didn't even know that we needed wisdom, so we didn't raise our hands. But we all need wisdom. All of us can see when we go through trials that we genuinely have a need for God. And so, trials are a good thing. We're going to contrast that this week to the idea of temptation. We're going to talk about what temptation is to the Christian and how you and I are to deal with or handle temptation this week. Very different than trials. Our text this morning is from James chapter 1. We're going to read 12 to 18. I'm going to read it all, and then we'll kind of parse it apart, okay? So James chapter 12, 1, verse 12 says, "'Blessed is the man who endures temptation, "'for when he has been approved, "'he will receive the crown of life "'which the Lord has promised to those who love him. "'Let no one say when he is tempted, "'I am tempted by God. "'For God cannot be tempted by evil, "'nor does he himself tempt anyone.' But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Temptation. That's something that we all have to encounter in our lives. And as many different people there are in this room, there are that many different types of temptation. Now, they can be categorized and generalized into various groups, but we all have our own ways to be enticed. Anybody watch The Biggest Loser? Not just me? Okay. All right, me and Tim. Me and Tim. Usually I watch The Biggest Loser sitting in my Lazy Boy with a bag of chips. That's, that's the way I watch The Biggest Loser. Well they have throughout the contest of the biggest loser they have these moments of temptation. And my one of my struggles being food, I enjoy well, I, not enjoy but it's a, it's it's like, "Oh, I know this is coming." And they, you know, they bring out all these people who are trying to lose weight to the the smorgasbord of cupcakes or, you know, bacon or whatever. I thought about putting a plate of bacon right here for the entire time I talked this morning. I ate it, but uh, <laughs> so there goes that idea but um it's those things in our lives that come into our lives that would want to lure us pull us away from that which god intends for our lives if we were to define temptation it would be this a strong desire to do something that is irregular violent impure Or lustful. That's what temptation is. It's a strong desire in us, a strong desire to do something that is irregular, violent, impure, or lustful. And I think it's important that you and I have this conversation today, that we discuss what temptation is, and the fact that there is a right and a wrong, and there is a temptation to do that which is impure, lustful, violent, or irregular, those things that are wrong because we live in a society that is trying to cloud that line, that is trying to blur exactly what is right and wrong. If you go onto the campuses of America today, one of the most popular movements right now is this idea of postmodernism. It's also, uh, it can be called moral relativism. And the idea is, is for those who buy into postmodernism or even moral relativism, is that there is no absolute right there is no absolute truth, that it's, it's dependent upon the person. You decide what is right. You decide what is wrong, and whatever you decide is right and wrong, that's okay. We don't have to agree on that. What's right for you might not be right for me, and what's wrong for you might be okay for me. It's all dependent upon what you believe. Well, that just simply is not the case. And we have to stand against that to say, no, there is an absolute moral truth. There is an absolute right and wrong. Anybody that talks to you about that and says, oh, I believe in this moral relativism, and if it's right for me, I'm going to do it. If it's not right for you, then you don't do it. You live by your own standard of truth. Anybody talks to you about that, just punch them in the face. Right? Right? Well, hey, and then when they say, what did you do that for? Well, it's right for me. <laughs> let out the air in their tires. Uh, it felt right, sorry. I, I... They, they, they uphold this idea, or they, they pronounce this idea, they declare this idea, but nobody actually wholly believes it. There's a, a guy named Todd Friel who goes out to different campuses in Georgia every Wednesday to witness. Uh, he calls them Witness Wednesdays, and he records them, and he can listen to them. And, and that's one of the things that he'll engage in frequently is this idea of moral relativism. And he'll hold a balloon, a red balloon, and it's you know, somebody that buys into moral re- relativism. What color is this balloon? And they'll say, it's red. Well, Well, I say it's yellow. And the person who upholds moral relativism can't disagree. Because then they would be saying, no, there is an absolute truth. So, it's just silly. We have to understand that there is a standard of right and wrong and that's given to you and I in God's Word. Temptation, then, is the desire to do that which is contrary to that absolute standard. That which is contrary to God's Word. That's temptation being lured away from what God would deem is correct, holy, and right. So going back to the top of our text for today, in verse 12, it says, "'Blessed is the man who endures temptation, "'for when he has been approved, "'he will receive the crown of life, "'which the Lord has promised to those who love him.'" Now, as I said, we talked last week about trials, and then this week we're transitioning into the idea of temptation. And so This is kind of the bridge verse in between the two, verse 12. So we can say of verse 12, the result of you and I seeing a trial as a pathway to maturity, the result of you and I then enduring or handling temptation properly when it comes our way, what the verse says, we receive what is known as the crown of life. Now, I want us to understand, this is not salvation that he's speaking of. Salvation is not a, a, a reward. Salvation is a free gift given to us because Jesus paid the price. And so when we handle trials, seeing them as a pathway to maturity, when we endure temptation in the proper way, we receive a reward. The scriptures are clear about that when we, as Christ followers, go to be with Jesus, there is a day coming when you and I go through a judgment as well in which all that we have done, that Corinthians says is wood, hay, and stubble, will be burned up. And all those things of gold, silver, and precious jewels, those things are refined. And they they're, they're become crowns that we cast at the feet of Jesus. And we're, we, we receive that when trial and temptation... Is removed When we're in his presence, it's all that we have is now. The trials, the temptations, our are now. One thing I wanted to mention, that word temptation in the beginning of verse 12, it's interesting that previous to this in the New King James, that exact same Greek word had been translated as trials. For some reason here, if you read it in the King James, it's always translated temptation throughout chapter one. New King James made a distinction between trials and temptations, but in verse 12, they use the word that they use, they translate it here, temptations, everywhere else previously had been translated trials. And then when we get into verse 13, it's a different word translated temptations. So, I think that may lend itself to some, some confusion. I think that it would almost be better read in verse 12, blessed is the man who endures trials. But at the same time, we are to endure temptation or properly handle the way we, we come into temptation or the way we uh, handle temptation. So um, just something to consider there. Three steps and really, this is kind of the, the main verse. Three steps to enduring temptation. That's what we want to glean from the book of James and, and from the Bible. Is All right, well, what do we do? When temptation comes our way, how do we handle it? The first step, remember God's word. You want to properly handle temptation in your life? You want to avoid, avoid those impure thoughts, those lustful things, those violent things? Know God's Word. Remember God's Word. David said it in Psalm 119, verse 11. Your Word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. We need to know and understand. We need to soak in God's Word. We need to remember God's Word. We want to endure temptation. Remember God's Word. Our ultimate example, of course, is Jesus Christ, right? Right? How did he handle temptation? Well, that's why we're, we've got your, your finger in Luke chapter 4. Let's flip over there real quickly. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, just beginning his public ministry, having been baptized by John in the Jordan River, the Spirit whisks him away for, for a time of tempting. So it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1 Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship me, worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered and said to him, it's been said, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time, and we know that to be in the Garden of Gethsemane. As we see Jesus going toe-to-toe with our adversary, Satan, there in the desert prior to his public ministry, The way that Jesus handles it is the way that you and I should as well. With the Word of God. It is in knowing, it is in understanding the Bible that we properly handle temptation. It's how we are victorious over temptation. Also, a great thing to note here, being tempted is not a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. It's when you and I give in to that temptation that it becomes a sin. Being tempted is not a sin. If it were, Jesus would have sinned because he had been tempted there in the desert. Being tempted is not a sin. We all have those moments in our lives when temptation arises. Knowing the Word of God is what will help us to be victorious. The second thought that we would have in how to properly handle temptation we should resist the devil. Resist the devil. We're going to read that later on this summer in James chapter 4, verse 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you just, in, in, in God's strength, have a, have a moment of strength when that lure is out there, when that temptation is present, and say, I'm not going to walk down that road. I'm not going to listen to that enticement. I'm going to resist the devil. Then, as we see here in the middle of, of Luke chapter 4, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. There in the second temptation in, in verse 8. He's like, I'm, I'm resisting. I'm going to stand back. I'm going to um, stand strong in this moment. So, know God's Word. Resist the devil. He will flee. And then, probably my best advice when it comes to resisting temptation, Run. Run! Nowhere does it say, hey, I have to hang out right next to temptation in order to be victorious. That's what Joseph did. Joseph there in Potiphar's house, Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him, good looking Hebrew boy, strong worker. She starts making advances toward him, wants to have relations with him. And he's like, I can't do that to my master. I can't, I can't go down that road. I'm going to resist that. I, I'm gonna, I can't do that to God. Not going that way. Finally, she, her advances become so strong that she pulls him into the bedroom. She desires to be with him. And he's like, no. And what does he do? He, he runs away naked. He's like, I don't even care what it looks like. I'm out of here. Joseph runs from the temptation. That's what you and I need to do as well. We studied the book of Nehemiah on Wednesday nights. And we see toward the end of the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah goes away for a little while. And while he's gone, the people of Israel who had made all these promises, oh, we're going to do exactly what's right. We've got the walls rebuilt. We're rebuilding the city. We're on fire for God. The, The cat goes away and the mice begin to play. And the people of Israel begin to fall away. They, they think that, jo- that Nehemiah was gone for about 12 years. He returns and finds everything in disarray. Nehemiah is ticked. He says, no, you know what, this is not, we're, we're, not, we're going down the same road we went and we ended up in Babylon. Is that where we want to be? And so he starts to set things right. He kicks Tobiah out of the temple. He sets the storehouses in place. He reestablishes the Levites into their proper place. He sets everything back up. He, he notices that during the Sabbath that people are coming and going through the gates. And that wasn't permitted by Hebrew law. They weren't allowed to buy and sell on the day of, of uh, the Sabbath. And so he sets the gates back up. He puts his people in place. And he says, you know what? We're not going to allow this anymore. So then, all the people that had been coming to buy and sell, they see the gates closed on the Sabbath day and they set up camp just outside the wall. They're like, oh, cool, we'll just hang out here. Nehemiah doesn't even put up with that. He gets up on the wall and he shouts down to the people who are, are, are waiting to move into the city to sell their wares Hey, go home. He wants to remove all the temptation from the people inside the city. He wants to remove the temptation from the lives so that they're not even tempted to go out and buy and sell. That's what you and I need to do as well. It's not, let's see how close to the line of sin that you and I can dance. That's not the victorious life in Christ. If you struggle with pornography, it's not your job to go out and hand tracks out in the parking lot of a strip joint. If you struggle with alcohol, it's not your job to sit on the bar stool day after day witnessing to the guy next to you. That's dancing too close to the line of temptation. Find another way to minister. Find another way that you can use your gifts for God's glory. It's a lure. That's what temptation is. That's the way Pastor Dave always used to describe it. It's 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 the, the promise of something wonderful. When you're, when you're fishing, you put the lure in the line, or in the water, and, and as the lure moves across the top of the water, it catches the sunlight and, and shines in just a way, such a way that the, oh, it looks fantastic to a fish. Something's up there that I have to go explore and, 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 and check out. And all that's there is Death. Right? That's what a lure is. It's, it's trapping a fish into death. Will you and I chase after the shiny things of this world as well when the better thing for you and I to do is just simply run? Run to Him. Verse 13 says, Let no one, when he is tempted, I'm t- say, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He Himself tempt anyone first thing to know in that verse temptation is coming it's not a matter of if it's when it says let no one say when he is tempted it doesn't say let no one say if he is tempted temptation comes to us all it's part of living in a fallen world that we have to deal with temptation we need to recognize that temptation doesn't come from God the temptation when we're tempted is to say, is to play the blame game. That's what we do. That's what we is. It's what's been done since the Garden of Eden. It's the blame game, right? When Adam when Adam partakes of the fruit, he 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 encounters or has an encounter with God, and what does God say? You know what happened here, and and Adam's like, everything was good until you brought this woman in here, and she's the one that led me astray. Right, It's her fault. And then, and then you know, it turns to Eve, and Eve's like, it's that serpent's fault. That's what we, we play the blame game. And the, and the temptation would be to say, oh, I, you know, I, I was tempted this week in this way or in that way with impure thoughts or whatever, violence, and, and, and it's God's fault. And that's where you and I need to understand the difference or the distinction between a trial, a pathway to maturity, an opportunity that God is giving us for for us to draw closer to Him, and a temptation, that which does not come from God, and is just there to trip us up. We don't want to blame anybody else, because the truth of the matter is, it's us. It's you and I. We We are the ones that give in to temptation. We're the ones that... That fall in this way. It says in verse 14, each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That's, it's, it's you and I. It's, it's We're the ones biting the hook. It's, it's, we're the ones going after the shiny object, the lure. It's not God's fault. And I think verse 15 is, is a pretty intense picture And I'm going to intentionally get a little bit graphic because I'm hoping that it will help us to remember exactly what's happening when it comes to temptation. It says in verse 15, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. When temptation comes and we give in because of our own desires, we are enticed. When that desire conceives, it gives birth to sin. When does conception happen? Sorry to get a little graphic here, but I think you all understand when conception happens. It's in an intimate relationship. When a man and woman come together, that's how a baby is created. Well, the same idea, the same word used here is when you and I have an intimate relationship with that which we are being tempted by, we are impregnating a mistress who is going to give birth to sin. You and I, when we give in to temptation, are entering into a a lustful relationship an intimate relationship with that desire in which there is a conception of sin sin is birth when we give desire or when we give into desire when we give into temptation in essence you and i giving into temptation is an act of adultery because we're already married the follower of christ already has a husband jesus christ and when we fall into that temptation we're skipping out on him and getting in bed with the seductress called temptation it's adultery and we need to repent of it that baby is born that baby of sin is born after we have given in to that desire. And just like when a, a child is born in our lives, we desire to care for it, we desire to coddle it. When sin is born in our lives, very often we desire to coddle it. We take care of that sin. We make sure we nurture it, we feed it. And by the laws of diminishing returns, we continue to feed it until it's full grown. Do you understand the laws of diminishing returns? In the, in the economic world, it's, if you were to purchase a brand new car, you drive off the lot, and all of a sudden, that brand new car is worth $1,000, $2,000, $3,000 less than what you just paid for it moments earlier. That's the law of diminishing returns. It's the idea that you never get as much as what you have invested into it. And when it comes to sin, when it comes to temptation, the way that it acts out is that we need more of that sin in order to achieve the same pleasure that sin has brought. That's why there's a term known as a gateway drug. It's because for a short time, that gateway drug does exactly what it is intended to do. It gives you a high for a time. But eventually, because of the laws of diminishing returns, it's not enough. And you move from that gateway drug to one of the more hardcore drugs. I've struggled with pornography in my life. And I can tell you from my experience that the, the, the Sears catalog eventually isn't enough and you move on to something harder. And then the the soft core porn isn't enough and you move on to something harder. And it's this downward spiral in order to get the same high that you got yesterday, you need more of the drug. And that's the way sin grows in us. And we don't even recognize that we continue to feed it and it continues to grow inside of us until one day it brings forth death. That's what the verse says. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when it's full grown, it brings forth death. And we've gone so far. And the only hope of coming back is through Jesus Christ. It says in the book of Romans, as we studied just recently on Sundays in chapter 6, the wages of our sin is death. What we, the, the payment that you and I get for the sin that we commit is death. And then we see it the way that it is acted out here in in verse 15. You and I, rather than feeding our sin, coddling it when it's young and new, need to kill it. A lion cub is sure cute for the first few months. But as you continue to feed it, it continues to grow until one day it will kill you. We need to kill sin, put it to death in our lives. We don't see how close we can dance to the line. We run in the opposite direction. Verse 16 says, Do not be be deceived, my beloved brethren. I love that term that James uses. He cares about those he's writing to, including you and I today. Guys, I want you to know something. I love you so much. I want to tell you this truth. Don't be deceived. I think, and I always tied verse 16 to verse 17. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren, every good and perfect gift. But there's a period there. And as I studied this week, I want to shift my thinking to say, you know, I think verse 16 is more advice in light of verses 14 and 15. Hey, temptation is out there. The lure is set. It's floating on the top of the water. The sun is shining in just the right way. You, Christian, Don't be deceived. Know that if you bite that lure, it's going to end in death. So don't be deceived. Being aware of the knowing, knowing that the fight is coming helps us to prepare for the punch. And then good news, verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. With whom? There is no variation or shadow of turning. Something to remember as we are trying to handle temptation properly is that living in God's life, living in the gifts that God has provided for us, is far better than any temptation. There is a moment of pleasure in temptation that will end eventually in pain and suffering. One of the bands I listened to for years, Project 86, had a song years ago, and one of the lines in the song would say, six seconds of, of joy, six, sec- six seconds of pleasure leads to six years of agony. And that's what temptation does. It is a moment of pleasure. What we can overcome that by recognizing that every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, that God gives way better presence when we follow after Him, when we pursue after Him. And this is the idea uh, that... Um, of grace. This is the idea of that, that God is a good giver and He provides for all. Notice it says every good gift. Every means every. Not most, not some. Every, every good gift comes down. And even those who don't recognize that they come down from God can take be- benefit in those good gifts. Common grace, it's called. God loves every human being. Not just us Christians. Do we recognize that? God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. God lavishes His love upon all the human race. Now we are His bride, and in that we are set aside. But He loves all. Most of us today are going to go fire up the grill. Go out to eat. We're going we're to eat in such a way that most of the world does not eat today. Do you recognize that? That, that thing that you threw in the crockpot this morning would be considered a feast-only fit for holidays in the majority of the world. We've got homes. We've got... Roofs over our head that we get to go to, and some are, are are very simple and very plain homes. But God has provided a shelter for you and I that we have a place to live. You and I drove cars here this morning. This is every good gift that comes down from the Father of lights. Well, I've earned that. Yeah. Well, who gave you the ability to do what you do? It's by God putting that skill inside of you that you can go to work every day. That we have breath in our lungs. Do you know the next breath is not promised to you and I? How many times a day does your heart beat that you don't even think about it? How many times do you breathe that you don't recognize that it's God's hand giving you that breath? That we have clean water, that we have water at all, that we have life and life more abundantly. We have blessing upon blessing because every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from God. It says there in 17, there is no variation or shadow of turning. I love that. God, it, it, there's no question. There, it, God's never going to change His mind in this matter. It's never going to come in a different way. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is, he is the source of light. When we go to the New Jerusalem, when we, we are living in His presence for all, all eternity, it says God is light. the light. In Him there is no darkness at all. And so... In Him, there is no shadow because He is the source of light. He is the giver of all good gifts. Of His own will, our last verse for today, of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be the kind of, a kind of firstfruits of His creatures. Of course, you and I, the human race, created differently than the rest of creation. All of the, the animals God created Adam gave the names to, but it is in the creation of the human race through Adam that we have the image of God. We are created in the image of God. It is God who breathed into the dirt and, uh, and into the dust and brought forth life. And so because of the sacrifice that Jesus has made on the cross, the blood shed that you and I might have remission or forgiveness of sins. When we place our faith in Christ, when we believe in the sacrifice that He has made, and then when we begin a relationship with Him, you and I become these first fruits, these things that are offered up to God as a, a sacrifice to Him. And it's by His own will. What a glorious thought. God is perfectly complete in and of Himself. He has no need for anything. If He had need for something, that would make Him less than perfect. But God is entirely perfect. And therefore, doesn't need you and I. But He wants us. So much so that His love was so deep for you and I that He is willing to go to a cross A death that you and I deserve. He was willing to make that ultimate sacrifice, giving his life so that you and I might have proper relationship with Jesus or with God the Father through Jesus Christ. It is in that sacrifice that you and I are given true freedom, true liberty. It's interesting to note, as we do celebrate Memorial Day this weekend, that when a person steps into um, the military of the United States, when, it, when they specifically <coughs> pledge to join the army, they make an oath as they stand there before their officer, and this is what they say, I Whoever I do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same. And that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me According to the regulations and the uniform code of military justice, so help me, God. I just am so enamored by that statement. Because they pledge, those who serve in our military, those who defend my freedom to worship as we worship on a Sunday morning, make a pledge to say, I'm going to stand against, and I'm going to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. All enemies from without and within. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf as well. He is our defense against all enemies from without. Our adversary, Satan, the devil, and from within. Being tempted by our own desires. As many have paid the ultimate price for our freedom here in the United States, so too our Savior paid the ultimate price that we might have freedom from sin and death. Not only does Jesus pay for the penalty of sin, not only are we justified, but we are also sanctified. We are delivered from the power of sin. We have the ability to overcome those temptations that come into our life. If we implement these thoughts, hey, I'm going to devote myself to the Word. And I'm going to know it. Did you notice that Satan tried to throw some Scriptures at Jesus there in the third temptation? Well, it says, you know, he he will uphold his angels and and you will not, you know, fall on the rock. Satan knows Scripture? Well, yeah. And he twisted it for his own use. Did we recognize how it was twisted? If not, we've got some studying to do properly using scripture, resisting the, te- the, the devil, he will flee from us, and then ultimately running away from that temptation. You and I need to recognize the difference between a trial and a temptation. and Embrace the trial. Look for the pathway to maturity and run from the temptation and run into the arms of an everlasting God. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's stand. Let's close in prayer. Thank You, Lord, that in Your love for us, You made a way that we become Your bride. And forgive us, Lord, for all the times that we have gotten into bed with temptation. Committed that act of adultery against You. And thank You, Lord, that Your mercies are new every morning. And thank you, Lord, that your grace is ever sufficient. And thank you, Lord, that even the sin that maybe we committed on the way to church this morning is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And thank you that you've made a way that we might be victorious. And thank you that every good gift does come down from the Father. Thank you for your provision for us, O God. Thank you for meeting our need. Thank you for your grace. Thank you. Thank you for Your mercy. We kneel in the dust at the foot of the cross where mercy paid for me, made away. Lord, I pray that our eyes would be open. I pray that we would live in a greater understanding of those shiny lures in our life. And Lord, that we wouldn't fall into the temptation, but that we would run from those things, Lord. That we would be strengthened by the family around us. God, that we would be encouraged by your word. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Go with us as we go forth. In Jesus' name, amen.